So, Ian, I believe you met Albert during the week. Toughened your nipples, didn't it? Welcome to An Englishman and an Irishman Go to the Movies, the podcast that frequently puts the lotion in the basket, but still seems to get the hose. I'm your Englishman, Ian Whittington, and I would like nothing more than to pair your liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. And with me, as always, is the Irishman that... Actually, do you know what you look like? With your good bag and your cheap shoes, you look like a rube. A well-scrubbed, hustling rube with little taste. Good nutrition's given you length of bone, but you're none more than one generation from poor white trash, aren't you, Sean? And that accent you've tried so desperately to shed, pure Dublin. What is your father, dear? Is he a coal miner? Does he stink of the lamp? How quickly the boys found you, all those tedious, sticky fumblings in the back seats of cars. Well, you could only dream of getting out, getting anywhere, getting all the way to the FBI. Hi, Ian. Hi, Sean. That was epic. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ian, Are you suitably great? I believe you met Albert during the week. Toughened your nipples, didn't it? Oh. oh no, oh no. He did smell like Ivian, but not today. <laughs> he sometimes wears l'heure de temps. <clears throat> Tell me, Ian, <clears throat> what did Albie say to you? Yes. Multiple Albie in the next cell? <laughs> Multiple Albie? <laughs> oh dear, well that's put us all on edge. Just a um, little bit. Anyone else feeling really creeped out right now? <sighs> feeling really uh, dirty. Such Where's a strange intro to the Rugrats pod. Anyway, so... Yeah. <laughs> That's the sequel we didn't need. Oh, <laughs> um, uh, Ian, well done. That was very good. I enjoyed that immensely. Oh, thank you. A, a dramatic reading of um, what could have been Gene Hackman, but we will get to that shortly. Yes. Okay. Uh huh. All right. Yeah. Right. Um, should we dive straight into some news? Let's do that. Do that, news. News team, assemble. Tell us some news, Sean. I have... Uh, this is going to sound awfully like I've resurrected the recommends section, just... But <laughs> hey, I have news. I'm up that, for it. Hey! Uh, I have really, really, really good news. Um, so I am a massive fan of the Candyman initial film. I will put a little bit big, 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 massive, like, you know, Candyman 1. I'm a big fan of Candyman 1. I'm also a very big fan of Jordan Peele. And so mixing these two things together has thankfully delivered an absolute belter of a movie. I went to see Yay! the new Candyman over the weekend and I'm so happy to say I loved it. It's really, so really relieved. good. Isn't it nice to have a film come out that doesn't suck? Like, we build up so many films that end up being a bit disappointing. So, to, oh, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me why you love it. Um, it So... It adds so much to the lore of the original. Like, it's definitely a sequel. And in fact, it's more of a sequel even than I was expecting. And I knew it cool. was going to be a sequel. Um, it is... From what I can tell, it, I think it ignores two and three. Um, oh, how many have there been? This, this will be the fourth Candyman film. But right. it, in the same way that, say, Halloween 2018 is Halloween 2... Yeah. 
this feels like Candyman 2. Yeah. It feels like it's picking up from there. I read an article that said it. one of the goals of the film was to fix some of the wrongs done by the first one around how there's a lot of white people being the saviours in the first film that it wanted to really remedy. There is... There, there is, there is definitely a bit of that. I would very happily do full episodes on this series, but just really, really quick. This is, this is very much. Oh, I, I don't want to go too much into it because there, like, there's a lot of spoilers. It's very mm-hmm. of the moment, while still, um, steeped in the history of both the Candyman film and wider culture which ties in to both the mm. original film and this one. Um, th- there is a, like a knockout performance from the star Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. He is he's brilliant. I have to say, he's absolutely brilliant in it. Um, anyone who saw... This is potentially spoiler for Watchmen. So, The TV show or the movie? T- the TV show. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, so, I haven't seen it yet. That's oh, fine. Go well for then, it. No, well then, no, Genuinely, no, I probably won't at this point. Like it's now, especially since they're not picking it up for anymore. No, it wasn't. It was always a miniseries. Oh, I thought there was a chance it was going to be extended. Mm. I guess there's always a chance, isn't there? I guess that's it. Yeah, yeah. I guess. But um, uh, yeah. So anyway, yeah. He it plays Doctor Manhattan in. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, but anyway, so people might know him from that because he's relative newcomer. Mm-hmm. Um. There is pleasant amount of gore for the gore hounds out there, but it's mm-hmm. not about that. No. Um, there is some very, very prescient things in it, and I'm going to stop it because otherwise I like I will need yeah. to. No, that's fair. In fact, Ian, I'm terribly sorry for doing this, but as this will be coming out on Tuesday, I can say that my podcast, You're on Crack Mate, today's episode is on Candyman 2021. So sorry, um, I'm getting I'm getting myself a plug in there. What culture cinema sins? Um, yeah, just take them all off. Trek culture, OnlyFans, just tr- take I, them all I'm, off. There. Yeah, I'm on Sif Pop next week, but a different one. The writers' room Sif Pop, right? Oh, Back to the and show. you set the tone. <laughs> er, no, fuck that one. Beep. Oh, shush. <laughs> I have like a personal vendetta against you. Really against do your side pod. Fucking uh, er. So yeah, so. Um, Excellent, excellent. But what I will say is, and I think I texted you yesterday about this, is that uh, do yourselves a favor and rewatch Candyman before going into Candyman yeah, twenty twenty one. It's not super essential, but it will help. Yeah, and I'm I'm really trusting of Jordan Peele. Like the man can do no wrong. Can like he just has a good good vision and. He just wants to make new movies. I know this is that's probably counter product, counterintuitive because this is a, a reboot of an existing property, but he wants it to say something new. And Get Out and Us are so unique. They are so different to, especially Get Out, so different to anything that we'd really seen in a long, long, long time. So, yeah, man, keep doing, keep doing things. Yep. Keep making the movies. Yep. So, that's me. Do you have anything oh, for us? Yeah, I did have a little addition. It, Pissed me off. So, oh no, yeah, a little bit, and I partly blame my my, my new boss Jeremy from Cinema Sins for this okay, because brave. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, in a good way, in a good way, because I share his rage. So, um, 
he's posted a few times how much he's enjoyed the new Suicide Squad film. I haven't had a chance to go and see it yet, but it was absolutely pitched on its opening weekend as a massive failure. So it did $22 million over its first three days, which, yep, that's not good. That's definitely disappointing. Yeah. However, Candyman has done $26 million and has been pitched as a roaring success that's outdone all of its targets and what the expectations were. So... Well, it depends I'm, on the budget of the two films. Well, I, Didn't yeah, you say I know the, the Suicide Squad is like $150 million of a budget? Yeah, exactly. And I know that the budget is a massive thing that comes into it, but there's still an amount of people that went to see it. Like, a similar amount of people went to see it. You can't judge whether it's a good film or a bad film based solely on the opening weekend. And I think that if you had reported um, even a lukewarm approach, like Suicide Squad does a fairly good opening weekend at $22 million, it might have given it a better chance. But if you pitch it on Monday morning that the weekend has been an absolute train wreck for Suicide Squad, no one's going to go and watch it, are they? You're going to kill its word of mouth, especially... Like, once upon a time, it might be, oh, man, this film must be so bad, I have to go and see it. But now when we're really being conscious about the journeys that we make and do we want to be in a room with other people, you're not going to risk that for a bad film. You're going to wait until it comes on a streaming service. So just the way the media pitches things really bugs me so much. Like, I'm not a huge Suicide Squad fan, but give the film a bloody chance. I think you're right. It's these kind of, these big supermer, these big budget films, they are completely pitched, judged, and they live and die differently. Like yeah. Candyman. It's like if they don't hit 80 million, they're absolutely screwed. But a horror film, if it does more than 10, it's a massive success. And at first, that's, that's always been the way. That's why it's so yeah. easy to do horror series. It's because usually, not always, of course, but usually the investment is so low that mm-hmm. any money tends to push it into the you know the success um one of my favorite channels on youtube dead meat is doing a retroactive series on friday the 13th at the moment um and in it he discusses the box office now okay keep in mind that this was the 1980s so it's obviously Mm. adjusted for inflation etc etc but like friday the 13th part 2 did (gasps) ian did you hear that it did six million dollars that's incredible now adjust that for inflation it's still like it's still okay but like that's why yeah. it was like there's like 11 million Friday the 13th yeah. films is because they cost a fiver to make yeah and because make six million dollars there you go you can make quite a that's few it. you rely on a bit of good set design um you rely on jump scares to be honest like horror is so I love horror films but if you're going to be a lazy studio it can be as formulaic as you want it to be um, stick some jump scares in there. Have a bad guy that doesn't talk. So forget about writing a script. Just have him look menacing and walk around. In a lot of cases, the less they say, the better. <laughs> and you're done. You're going to make yourself twenty million off of a budget of one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That's it. I mean, that is that is literally it. like this horror film that we're going to discuss today. You know, if anything, their lead villain is as mouthy as fuck. Yeah, he's yeah. positively talkative for a, for a thriller horror. Yeah. Um, but yes, with that, shall we transition very nicely into the uh, La Science de uh, Lam, Lambo Lam, Lambs? <laughs> Don't know why I went French. Nothing about this movie is French. Works for the me. Science of the Lambs. Uh. <laughs> I love this film. So, when was the first time you saw it? Oh, Do you... Early, early. I was young when I saw this film for the first time. I Too don't... young. 
Ditto. Probably. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely one of these things where I've seen the film quite a few times, but I was glad of the rewatch because it's been a few years since I've seen mm-hmm. it. Yeah, um, ditto. Definitely. You pick up on... This is an incredibly well-made film. It is not a film that is without controversy, but it's an incredibly well-made film. Yeah, without a doubt. And I have got loads and loads of behind-the-scenes stuff I want to talk about, and part of that is covering how this movie is a little bit more turfy than it should be, um, especially when you watch it today, Um, which is disappointing. But on the whole, the movie that it's trying to be is fantastic. It's Mm. so, so good. Um, did you know, for example, that Hannibal Lecter, Anthony Hopkins, only blinks once in the entire film? I actually thought he didn't blink at all, so that's really interesting. Yeah, so there's only the one time, and it's when Clarice finally shares the story about the lambs and her father being killed, etc. And it is a very slow, deliberate, acknowledging blink, and then the rest of the time, Hopkins just keeps his eyes open, just like an absolute psychopath. (laughs) <laughs> love it so I saw this film way too young as well because I specifically remember how awkward it was watching the Ted Levine scene um, where he tucks his willy um, between his legs um, with my parents um, love <laughs> it's, it. just, it's just not it's not not a memory you need to share with your parents and I've got many of those with films where it's like oh, let's just pretend to be on my phone or on my Game Boy while this particular scene happens <laughs> Um, um yes yeah i i'm pretty sure i watched it alone i might have been i feel like i saw it earlier but i know i definitely watched it through as a teenager because um, mm-hmm. i i read the books when i was in school um and th- i think of no of the three so uh there's sorry there i know there's four there's because there's hannibal rising as well but i've not read hannibal rising um, but of Red Dragon, The Silence of the Lambs, and Hannibal, as far as I can tell, this one is the closest match book to film. Oh, absolutely. And I've got all sorts about that as well. Um, Ted Talley um, is largely the reason this film exists in the form that it does. Um, okay. And he's a good reason why the sequels, other than Red Dragon, are pretty garbage. Um, because Red Dragon is the only one that he has anything to do with. Um, but initial thoughts, love it. Do, do you adore this film? Is it okay? Do you think it's overhyped? Um, oh, it's what, do you, not, what do you think? Oh, it is not overhyped. No, no, no. this film. Um, I know we shouldn't judge a film by how it did at the Oscars, but we're gonna, because this one won the big <laughs> five. Yeah. Yep. They did a clean actor, sweep. actress, screenplay, and film. Yeah, and yeah, one of three films to do that, and it hasn't been done since. Um, yep. Maybe it won't ever be done again as well, because we have such a variety of... Um, I don't know. I think it's just a different. The cinema landscape is just totally different. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can't you can't kind of deny that, can you? Um, it's so good. Every single performance is just incredible, and just there's a reason I did Hannibal's speech as the opening. Just he eats up every single word, chews on it, and spits it back up. So so good. I think like it's. Okay, well, I suppose let, let's go, Let's because this is one of those films where if you've seen it, you know the story, obviously it goes without saying. If you haven't seen it, immediately stop listening to this podcast and go yeah, and just watch go and the watch it. Please do. I know we say this with every film <coughs> that you haven't seen that we're doing an episode on, but really, if you haven't seen Silence of the Lambs, you, really you haven't lived. 
it's number not that IMDb matters, but it's number twenty one on on IMDb. Um, it's it's a damn near perfect film if you like psychological thrillers, and I think it's one of the few psychological thrillers that lives up to the psychological part of it. Mm. Um, because Starling um, is warned by her boss in the first ten minutes: do not let Lecter get inside your head. And it's not that she ignores the advice; she just can't help it. Uh, he has such a, a wall. power. Yeah, she has. Yeah. He has such a power over anybody that comes near him. He doesn't need any physical. Um, he doesn't need to do anything physically. He can absolutely kill people. He doesn't care. But what springs to mind is after they finish their first conversation, and she is really rattled. He's pissed at her because um, she's tried to fob him off with this questionnaire and has been a bit ham ham fisted about it. Um, so she leaves, and that's when and uh, Miggins, what's his name, Miggs, Miggs th- throws his semen at her, and the way that like she should just be running away, but Lecter just starts screaming and shouting, "Starling, Starling, come back here!" And she just does, she does as she's told, and just returns. Um, it's it's such a power because she has to overcome that fight or flight instinct she's she's exactly at the halfway point so she could just as easily run to the exit mm. but she runs back to lecter for for something it's like he he says you know you what you want most is advancement and that is true but i think one of the traits of this clarice because we'll discuss julianne moore's clarice next week but for this clarice is once she sets her mind on a task, she will go to any length to see that task through. And if that results in advancement, then great. Yeah, exactly. The advancement is kind of a fuck you world. I won't do what you tell me. I'm going to be a success. Um, but you think she's one of these people, whatever she put her mind to, she would do it. It's very much like um, Dr. House or Sherlock Holmes. I don't think she truly cares about about the victims it's about catching the killer and about getting uh, beating lecter as well and and beating lecter means getting him to trust her yeah that's a that's a really good description actually because you know in a way in the very beginning she's the winner he's the loser he's in a cage she isn't you mm. know even though he has more power in that cage than oh yeah she Absolutely. initially uh, has in her freedom yeah. um, and he helps her come to terms with an awful lot of her own self her own you know what she's able to see now a lot of the discoveries she does manage to make on her own but a lot of mm-hmm. it you know he does help her because when you when you think right I'm, i know i'm jumping around a little bit but when she reads the note that lecture has left her that says doesn't this pattern seem desperately random that's really the only, like, direct clue. <laughs> That's one of the issues you know, other, I actually other, have. Other than, obviously, there's the... Oh, okay, that's 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 good. I was I take that as good for Starling, but it, it, it's not like in Indiana Jones. Well, Lecter doesn't actually affect the plot at all, because he does a bit, obviously, because... Um, oh, totally, yeah. Senator Martin um, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm just, just laughing now. It's like, you know, huh. What about the Hannibal movies? What if you just took Hannibal out of the plot? Would anything actually change? Yeah, no, and that's. But it also managed. They also managed to show you too much, <laughs> Hannibal in particular. Um, but 
so I mean, that, yeah, he leaves the clue in the anagram, but that is still. That's the only bit of the film that kind of took me out of the film was it's such a fucking leap. Like the, um, the, not necessarily the desperately random, but the, the Lewis. anagram of, um, Moffat. Yeah. And then to the, 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 yourself storage company place. And, oh, it just, for me, I was like, man, that is, that's not a logical leap at all. That is an absolute, Stab in the dark. I think, <laughs> and it hinges I think on the with, whole story. I think I'm with you a little bit there on that one. Like, I, I like it. I like the scene and everything. But, like, lucky there was only that one self-storage, you know, thing that could possibly be, uh, you know, Hester. Mo- I, I don't know. Like, I do love yeah. it. Yeah. That scene in particular, what I love is that I think she's the only character in movie history that had a contingency plan. So in, she knows that this door is really sketchy, and if she gets stuck in there, she tells the guy that owns the place that, right, here's my boss's number, ring him in case I get stuck inside or something sketchy happens. Mm. Never in the history of film has the protagonist actually planned for something to go wrong. <laughs> I know, right? It's just like... Oh. It was so refreshing. It's such a small little thing, but I enjoyed the scene so much more because I wasn't thinking, oh, you're an idiot. Why have you gone in there on your own? That She's was, so smart. It, it's funny because her doing... And I'm sure you know this now, but her doing stuff on her own almost got the film in big trouble with the FBI. Oh, really? No, I didn't know that, actually. So uh, they praised the film a lot for its procedural, the, the way it depicts procedure, you know, what yeah. she does in terms of crime solving and, you know, Jack Crawford as well. Scott Glenn is very good in this film, I have to say. Oh, he's um, great. And the, it, it's very, very praised for its accuracy. However, they said the one thing that would just never, ever ever happen is no rookie agent would ever be sent on an investigation the way that Starling goes and eventually discovers James Gunn. It doesn't make any sense. It is so, so risky. Even if um, even if her boss apologies uh, Jack Crawford Crawford is in love with her and is, give, is giving her some kind of special treatment she she hasn't even graduated yet. Like you would not. He she shouldn't even be in front of Hannibal, let alone doing any of the investigate investigative um, legwork that she is doing. Yeah, I can totally see why. But but then again, you, it, it makes ha- sense for the you story. Have to, exactly. You yeah. have to. It has to be Clarice. She now, can't be a seasoned um, FBI agent. It works so much better because she's a student. Yep. To be honest, yes. Um, and that, I suppose, when I say that frailty, I mean the frailty that comes with being a rookie. Yes. That goes along with maybe, because Hannibal does manipulate her, although there's a very, even though he is clearly a villain, there is an almost anti-hero type relationship between the two of them because he is helping her while manipulating yeah. her. But he's still Absolutely. But he's still getting off on it. Yeah, he's not again, he's not doing it because he cares about Buffalo Bill getting caught. He's he is doing it to A get a nicer cell that he can break out of break out of and B because Clarice interests him as a patient more than anything. I think mm. he's he's actually hungry to be a psychiatrist again and get into people's brains. And that's like 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I haven't recently committed a series of grisly murders, but, you know, if I did and found myself incarcerated, eventually I'd start to be like, you know, well, I kind of miss making Star Trek videos, guys. <laughs> can we, can somebody just, like, come in here with a camera and I'll just, like, fire some phasers and shit? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just makes Wait, me feel a bit better. Hey, you realise your code name was the Trek Killer. We're not going to do that, Sean. Oh, <laughs> oh right, no. Okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Way to absolutely shut down your own website, Sean. <laughs> you heard it here first, the Trek Killer. Hey, I said nothing. I said nothing. Um, mm-hmm. But um, this so- is, again, this is, oh, my God, this film. I keep, with this film, it's like when I think about it, I play the entire film at the same moment in my head because there's so many standout scenes and performances Mm -hmm. in this film that it's really, really hard to pick something like a favourite scene or a most pivotal scene or, like, Mm. everyone gets a moment to shine. Within reason, like, Jack Crawford, I suppose, probably doesn't get his moment to shine, but he gets a lot of good moments. Yeah, he does, and it's very clear what his character is. He's not generic FBI agent uh, or FBI boss. Um, I know it's informed by Hannibal saying, oh, Crawford must be attracted to Agent Starling. But the way that's played out isn't really in a creepy manner because at the very, very end, when you have that extended handshake between Starling and Crawford, he still leaves. You can kind of tell that she she might entertain the idea of pursuing something, but he's the one that leaves and walks away. You can tell that he knows that it's wrong as well. Um, there, there seems to be a like... lot of professional respect. Oh, yeah, no, I definitely read it. Yeah. Oh no, I, I I never read that there was anything more than a professional relationship between the two. As in, oh like, no, he... re rewatch that handshake, hundred percent. Fair, no, no, I will, I will. Um, yeah, obviously, I remember. Obviously, um, Hannibal says it, and mm-hmm. she shoots. Oh my god, that exchange. You know, does he dream of you know undressing you, fucking you? Frankly, Dr. Lecter, that sort of thing doesn't interest me. It strikes me as the kind of thing that Miggs would say. Be That's so... Not anymore. A... <laughs> That's oh. such a burn, though, isn't it? Like, I... Like, watching it for the first time, you're like, oh, he's just going to kill her. He's going to actually kill her for saying that. But it just comes up with, not anymore. Which, arguably, he does kill her. Kills her with shade. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh I love it. Um, So, I... On the, I think I was going to do the structure of the film, but if we go into the character stuff first, there's a really good reason why this story is so character-driven, and that is so much down to uh, the screenwriter Ted Talley. Yes. So Thomas Harris's Thomas Thomas Harris's book, um, The Silence of the Lambs, is big, 370 pages, um, and it goes everywhere. It jumps from perspective to perspective. So you're in Crawford's head, you're in Hannibal's head, you're in um Starling's head, Buffalo Bill's head. Buffalo Bill has a whole backstory included about what happened to him as a child. Uh Crawford has a backstory about a wife that's dying of cancer. Um mm-hmm. there's so much more to it and Ted Talley bless him, even though he had 2 hours, which is plenty of time, decided he had to focus on one person and he had to focus on Starling because that's the one person that unites all of the other characters together um and he stuck to that so much he wrote so much about Crawford and the wife and just cut it all because it didn't fit in with the rest of the story and it took away from 
your your main protagonist, which is Starling. Like bottom line, who cares about um, Crawford's wife? It doesn't do anything for the story. So I just man, I wish more screenwriters would just watch this film and just be like you don't have to do everything. I don't need the backstory on every single blade of grass. Just focus. Some of it is better left to mystery as well. Yeah, I think Crawford as a character works as well as he is because in a way he's just the cop, even though he's obviously so much more than that. But we don't need, as you said, in the Hannibal TV series, Crawford is played Mm -hmm. by Lawrence Fishburne and his wife, who is played by his then real-life wife, uh, Gina Torres, appears. And, Mm. you know, that is is a whole thing. But in a TV series, you have the time to do that. So much more time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In a film, it doesn't add anything to the search for Catherine Martin, to the search for Buffalo Bill, or nope. to the uh, search, if you like, for Hannibal Lecter. Um, so I'm glad yeah. it was cut. You get just enough of Clarice's backstory. Um, like, obviously, the lambs is the big part, but the fact that her dad was a cop who was killed, that mm-hmm. is enough for us to know why she does the, way, the things that she does, why she acts the way that she does. And... I mean, really, you don't get an awful lot of backstory for Hannibal because you don't need it. Like, the man eats people. I don't really care in this story. I don't really care what happened when he was a kid. Yeah. It's not about that. No, whatever we can imagine is way scarier than what he's actually done as well. Um, And you see enough of him in... I'm more interested in him being a psychiatrist than I am a murderer, which is why I love the Hannibal TV show so much because Mads Mikkelsen does such a breathtaking job of like who could recast Hannibal Lecter like who could actually do it Mads Mikkelsen like it's so good man but we're not here to talk about Hannibal TV show sadly um, we are not another day another day but if you haven't day. seen it thoroughly recommend Netflix Watch UK it. and Ireland it's it's on that mm. uh, but yeah you had to find a way to get this 370 page story into a film um, and not make it a film about Hannibal as well. It is really about a film about Starling. Um, if anything, and I know Mr. Tally himself regrets this, a bit more backstory on Buffalo Bill would have allowed the film to age a bit better mm. um, because it is, I mean, even at the time, um, the the LGBTQ plus community was not, and quite rightfully, not happy with um, the presentation and the transphobia that's in the film. Um, homosexuality is not presented. It's presented as a disease in this film, as and as something that not every and not every homosexual is psychopathic. But this psychopath happens to be homosexual, and that's not what was needed. Um, agreed. Now, agreed. Um, and this is kind of we must discuss this when discussing the signs of the lambs because. Mm-hmm. Uh, funny enough now you used the phrase turf which I understand what you mean by that is because Buffalo Bill is presented as a failed transsexual and by failed I mean he has been rejected psychologically for trans reassignment by the three mm-hmm. main centres that handled that at the time um, and as you are as you are it's basically he is more presented with having this psychological issue abnormality if you like which drives him to kill as opposed to your you know i hope you you hear the tone of my voice when i say quote unquote your garden variety transgender yeah 
Um, so that is a problem, and it's and it's difficult to to kind of give that the time that it needs. And this is where maybe is this what you mean when you're saying Ted Talley says he wish he had gone further into Bill's backstory? Yeah, because the film is it's much more about feminism and it's about putting Starling front and center and how um so they won't even discuss uh, uh Crawford won't discuss the um the rape stuff in front of Starling. Like that's in itself is sexist and how Starling calls him out on it and says it's important what how you lead no, because just, the other cops reading. watch you yeah. and will do the same. Now it's focusing so hard on feminism whilst completely trampling on transgender issues at the same time. Now, this is interesting, right? So I'm just, I'm picking this up off, uh, so Buffalo Bill has a Wikipedia page because he's appeared in several, uh, he's written science science movie, the book, uh, the TV series Clarice. So, controversy. The film adaptation of Silence of the Lambs was criticised by some gay rights groups for its portrayal of Gum as a bisexual and transgender. A Johns Hopkins sex reassignment surgeon present in the book but not the film, his scene was deleted and is found in bonus materials on the DVD, protests exactly the same thing. FBI director Jack Crawford pacifies him by repeating that Gum is not in fact transsexual but merely believes himself to be. In the film, a similar scene is shown with Starling mm-hmm. and Lecter in the same roles as surgeon, as the surgeon and Crawford, respectively. So, I feel that an effort was made to address it, but as presented, I don't think it goes. I think it's it's not really enough. Um, no, the problem is it's pushing a stereotype that doesn't need to be pushed. It's like yes, there is no reason why. Buffalo Bill could be an absolute lunatic murderer and also transgender. But if we're telling stories, you're making a choice. And that's not... When there's already plenty of, of prejudiced and um, and ill will, in inverted commas, let's not amplify that in a, in a film, especially one that's putting feminism front and centre as well. Um, Jonathan Dem, the director, is has himself said exactly the same thing, that Buffalo Bill isn't gay, he isn't bi, he isn't transgender. He just thinks he is because he is latching on to anything that will transform his his person. He doesn't know what he is. He's just not in the right body. But that's not what the film's telling us. That is not at all what we're getting out of the film. Instead, it's just a, a boogeyman creature that's to be terrified and ridiculed. Um, I mean, and he is, he's, because Gum is also, and this comes from the novel as well, Gum is not just, he's not just one thing, he's also an amalgamation of several real-life serial killers mm. um, in, you know, the things that he does both to his victims and also to catch his victims. Yeah. Um, and what was i going to say and i just i just saw a reader um but you, you're right but just on on this topic as well jonathan demi he did listen to he he heard the criticism and as a way of almost apologizing for it his very next film was philadelphia yeah which is interesting yeah uh-huh. that was a good point um so which is not to say like oh that's great yeah. so as well long done. as you go and do something <laughs> else you're fine you know it's i just it's just yeah. one of those things. If it had nailed that as well, you're looking at a perfect movie that that ages extremely well. But 
for me, watching the Buffalo Bill stuff was a bit icky. It didn't feel, yeah, it didn't feel right. It's, yeah, because he's definitely, in the way that he treats Catherine in the, um, uh, when she's in the pit, mm-hmm. he is definitely depicted as somebody with learning difficulties in the way that he speaks yeah. and, you know, associative issues in that he obviously can't see her as human. Now, that feeds into his character as a serial killer. And then when he's speaking to Starling at the door, you see he is fully capable of Mm. presenting for however short a time as a functional um, human being, I guess. You know, he is able to understand and reply to her questions. Um, He clearly knows what's going on around him. So even though there is some sort of um, I suppose a sociopathic tendency that what's the first thing he does is, you know, have you heard of Frederica Bimmel? Oh yeah, was she a great big fat girl? Yeah. Um, and, you know, she goes, yes, she was uh, She was a large girl, yeah. Yeah. Um, so. But the man can plan. Like, he mm. he hasn't, he, he didn't get caught. It's pretty much a fluke that he did get caught. Um, but he, he planned kidnapping um, all of these people and how they get revealed as well. Um, so he, he's highly functioning. He's just, yeah, highly challenged as well. It's, yeah, it's... Um, he's fascinating for some very bad reasons and some, you know, Ted Levine plays him. It's so interesting. The, yeah, our, our general from evolution. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Uh, and he has such a I remember because obviously we talked about this at the time but I remember watching Evolution I didn't recognise him and it's not Mm. that there's any massive difference in maybe it's just the hair is shorter and he's got a moustache yeah it's the voice yes you know it's Um, really like this this movie people did voices well (laughs) yes yes they did I mean everyone's doing a voice Hannibal's doing a voice uh, yeah Clarice is doing a voice and of course, Buffalo Bill is doing it. West Virginia, absolutely, yeah. Um, um, but yeah, I thought it was important to talk about that stuff. We're not going to solve the problem here, and we're not going to absolve the film. But it's important to to talk about it. It's a it's a piece of history now that I guess you just need to learn from learn from. And we just still don't seem to be. <laughs> that's true. Uh, I have not yet seen the TV series of Clarice. I know Buffalo Bill appears as a character, so I would be interested to see how he is handled in mm, the series i do want to watch that show yeah um, i i have read some reviews which are oh my goodness ian sorry totally to change the subject i've just seen budget v box office for this film now i know what we were talking about during the news section but holy mm-hmm. mother of god budget yeah. 19 million dollars box office 272.7 million dollars <laughs> in 1991 um, what, what, what? yeah yeah flipping heck that's good <laughs> my god goodness yeah. golly me that is good um but yes the um the the, the film's great sorry i just got lost in a little hannibal scene myself um hannibal's great anthony hopkins is great jodie foster just does an awesome job as well doesn't she she's so she sells it like the the final scene when she's hunting down buffalo bill and she's back to you you remember that she's a rookie and her hands are shaking she's 
still not watching her corners. She's in a position where she could absolutely just be killed. Um, there's not this sudden turn into the Terminator where she can just kill everybody. She's still yeah. a human human being that's out of her league. Um, I think for all... Hannibal Lecter is the breakout horror icon of The Silence of the Lambs. But without Clarice Starling, this film would have flopped. Yeah, he's got to have a foil, hasn't he? He's got to yeah. have somebody that can hold their own against him. And that's, yeah, Jodie Foster and Clarice absolutely nail it. Um, would have, um, very nearly, was Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, that would have been interesting because I I look, this is, she, Jodie Foster is incredible on the part, very mm-hmm. correctly won the Oscar for it. But I can see Michelle Pfeiffer playing this part Uh, if we ever interview her we need to apologize sorry Michelle Pfeiffer Um, no Michelle Pfeiffer Um, of course yes she was the first choice and she actually turned it down because it was um, it was too violent too disturbing Um, she was worried it was going to affect her image and just didn't want to put herself through it I was like well good on you to be honest Um, Jodie Foster on the other hand fought for it and asked for the part (laughs) so it just kind of gives you an insight into their different the way their brains are put together Jodie Foster's just like I will be in this film and you are going to cast me and I am going to act the shit out of it Um, and and she does she absolutely does yeah bless her Um, her accent just really gets me I love it I love listening to her talk in this film She's so good. I it, and it was years before I found out that she is not, in fact, from West Virginia. No, uh, she's not. Um, <laughs> now here is something interesting. Sorry, I'm going slightly back on ourselves, and it's back to the point about Buffalo Bill. This is something I hadn't seen before. Now this is just from Wikipedia, so pinch of salt. Um, much criticism toward the film was made towards Foster, who critics alleged was. Oh, sorry. Oh, I read that wrong. Okay, right. Uh, I better read the whole thing then just for context, guys. Um, (laughs) So we've spoken about the Buffalo Bill thing. So this is about Jonathan Demme's response. Okay. Added that he came to realize that there was a tremendous absence of uh, positive gay characters in movies. Much of the criticism was made toward Foster as opposed to Starling, who critics alleged was a lesbian. And of course, Jodie Foster has since come out as a lesbian. So I think this is saying that... Oh, you she know, should have spoken up a Jody, lot Jodie, why didn't you speak out about it? Which, and I, I'm not <sighs> I here. I don't to, like I, that. I don't like that. I don't think that being a member of a community makes you the spokesperson of that community. Now, this is a much bigger conversation, and I'm not it is. trying to downplay anyone's feelings in this one, but just, let's say, on the surface, if she was criticised for quote-unquote, being a member of the LGBTQ community and not speaking out about the portrayal in the film, I feel that is not massively fair and I am now going to leave this topic as quickly as I brought it up. <laughs> it's. I want to say one thing on it, and it is, it's so difficult because the, the phrase that comes to mind is all it takes for evil to prevail is for a good man to do nothing or a good woman to do nothing. And that is very true. However... It doesn't mean you immediately damn somebody for inaction. There is so much more complicated than that. I mean, if if all of us did our piece, we could sort things out a lot quicker. But you can't pin that all on Jodie Foster. Oh, of course. Yeah, no, I completely, I completely agree. It's yeah. Now, right. Okay. Moving on. Moving on. Moving on. Um, 
where where do we move on to let's let's, <laughs> let's go let's go influences right so i have i have read the thomas harris novel now it's years years since i've read yeah. it so i will forget bits of it but um i do remember at the time really enjoying the fact that lector while he's much more of a character in the movie than he is in the book as in because thanks very much to what anthony hopkins brings to the part mm-hmm. um he's written in the present tense in the novel which always has stuck with me it's been we're pushing 20 years since i've read the book mm. and it's stuck with me that you know clarice walked into the room she saw the man standing there hannibal lecter is five foot eight. Oh, that's really jarring isn't it it's and i was like because the first time it was like oh what is that a misprint or something it was that's like no, no for the whole thing um oh good god that's really cool i love that so the with the book the I read a really great Rolling Stones article um it was an interview with Ted Talley and that's where I'm pulling a lot of my oh, my yeah, okay. facts from it's really really interesting so he actually knew Thomas Harris um he's uh, from getting this right Ted Talley's wife ran an art gallery that Thomas Harris went to so they knew each other tangentially socially okay. uh, and they had dinner one time um ted said i love your work i love your books um and harris was like well i'm writing a new one it's called silence of the lambs i'll send you a copy and he did in the end and then tally was just enamored by it and said like this if this isn't already being made into a film i need to make this into a film and it was already being made into a film by gene hackman so Gene Hackman had managed, the studio had managed to buy the, it was the same studio that that ended up making it, um, which is the studio. Studios MG, no, it's not MG. No, No, it is. No, it's not. It's Universal. Yeah. Something. Anyway, whoever it was. Um, Yeah, so Gene Hackman was going to write, direct, and star as Hannibal Lecter in this film. (laughs) Hmm. Just let that settle in for a minute. Gene Hackman is Hannibal Lecter. Mm. It's a different movie, isn't it? Yes, it is. And I've not seen uh, Manhunter, but I know we had Brian Cox as uh, Hannibal Lecter before this. Manhunter came out in the 80s as an adaptation of Red Dragon. Yeah. Um, now, Red Dragon is... Well, we, we will discuss Red Dragon um, uh, the film adaptation when we get to it in a couple of weeks. Uh, the book is quite good and Hannibal is a tiny, tiny character in the book. Mm-hmm. So it's f- almost, it's fine for somebody else to play Hannibal Lecter yes, before this it. version of him. Like yeah. it wasn't, with all the with all due respect to Brian Cox, it wasn't as if this icon of cinema had been born. Um, no, no, of course not. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so now, Having said that, I have no wish to see Gene Hackman play no. this part. <laughs> so Sorry. It's something that he just managed to get his teeth. So by this point, Gene Hackman is huge. He's absolutely massive. So he can pretty much do whatever he wants. Um, so Ted Talley's agent managed to get him a meeting with Gene Hackman. Um, and he said, look, I really want to I want to be a part of this. I want to get on board. Um so initially, he just went in there to try and just send in a draft. And after a few meetings, Hackman said, cool, you've got the job, because Hackman got fed up of writing it. 
<laughs> so he'd apparently written 50 pages of it, but 50 pages of script, which is over an hour, probably an hour and 10, hour and 20 of screen time. And he was only 50 pages into the story. So he got fed up and passed it on to Tally. And that was the last they saw of each other. Gene Hackman exited it. Similar reasons to Michelle Pfeiffer. He said it was too violent and he couldn't he couldn't do it. He couldn't get into it. <laughs> he, went, he went from writing, directing and starring to not being involved at all. That to me, like it's to be on the one hand, I don't blame him because I'm delighted with the way that it worked out for everyone. Yeah. But on the other one, isn't it so interesting how sometimes you just don't know what a film is going to be or what a project is going to be. Sometimes it can be the greatest disaster ever. Everyone goes in with the best of intentions and it just ends up just awful. And then other times it's... It's amazing. It's fantastic. It's, you know... It's a miracle we ever get a successful film because imagine how many films where Gene Hackman does stay on and it just doesn't work and you just have the hideous films that are out there that just could have been great i'm sorry i'm only laughing because i love it's just like you know kind of imagine how many films were gene hackman's in it god damn it <laughs> imagine how many films gene hackman has ruined i Bloody love gene him hackman. french connection is one of my favorite films shout Never out dad um oh mate we need to, that's one we need to watch together that is yeah. 70s as fuck but it's brilliant it's so good it's one of those it's i put it in the same bucket as dual because my dad made me watch it 15 times and it was only on the 16th time that I started to mildly enjoy it. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't know if this I don't know if this is a film that's worth liking, but I know that I now have to like it because it's in my blood. <laughs> um but yeah, so so Ted Talley was there from the beginning. Um wanted uh, Anthony Hopkins from the off, hundred percent. There was no one else that was gonna do it for him, and the same for Jodie Foster. Um so he managed to to convince both of them to do it. This is so Ted Talley's film. Oh, okay. I did no, I didn't know that he had convinced them in. That is brilliant. Yeah. So he went to dinner with um Anthony Hopkins and he agreed to do it. Um Jodie Foster actually called him um and they just had a discussion and Ted said, Well, I yeah, I might be writing a part for you and she said, Yeah, I know you are and I'm I'm gonna be doing it. <laughs> and this was when brilliant. the studio was still talking about Michelle Pfeiffer. So they were they were they were still they were plotting in the background, which I love. Um, but the studio wanted Dustin Hoffman or Robert Duvall or Robert De Niro to play um, Lecter. I Duvall, very very different film, obviously. Yeah. Duvall, maybe. I can Dustin see De Niro, Hoffman. a I very think... subdued De Niro. Yes, because when, like, for example, have you seen? Now they're very different roles, but there's a an eighties film starring Mickey Rourke and Robert De Niro called Angel Heart. No, rings a bell. Haven't seen it. It's, I won't give too much away. It's very, very good. And it's one of his understated performances. Um, mm. And he's not playing a mob boss, you know, because that is my, my biggest, yeah, you know, my exactly. biggest criticism of Robert De Niro is just like, after a while, you stopped hiring Robert De Niro as an actor. It's, yeah. you wanted mob boss Robert De Niro in your film. Uh, the same could be said it. of Pacino. The same could be said of mm-hmm. Nicholson. Uh, which yeah. is not to say they're not good. Anyway, that's that's a different conversation. Yes. But yes, he is very, very good and very, very subdued in this film. And based on that performance, I would have been like, okay. I mean, he would have been no Anthony Hopkins, but okay, he could have done this part. But because you never know what performance they're going to bring to the screen because Anthony Hopkins isn't Hannibal Lecter in every film. So 
The only reason we know Anthony Hopkins is perfect for this is because we've seen him play it. So having just watched um, Hook again for some bizarre reason, it's not for bizarre reason, it was to for the Sif Pop Writers Room podcast, we had to do some um, nostalgia films and Hook, I think, was my pick. Now, good choice. Yeah, I, oh man, it, it's good on a rewatch. Um, now, Dustin Hoffman, if you take that same accent that he's doing, but tone it down a bit and don't make it such a caricature, I can absolutely see him playing Hannibal. <laughs> I can, I can, do you know what? Because I didn't know for years Yeah, that was Dustin Hoffman. No, no one did. People still don't. Dustin Hoffman doesn't know to this day that he was in that movie. <laughs> When you were filming Hook, when I was what? Wait, what? That was just a fever dream. They put that on tape. Yeah. Oh no! <laughs> but yeah, I could. I think of the three, he's the one that I buy the most because, as I was saying, we know Hannibal Lecter. We know Anthony Hopkins is great because we've seen it. But maybe we would be sat here going, "Oh, Anthony Hopkins couldn't pick up, put, couldn't pull that off." Hoffman is the definitive Hannibal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, it's possible. It feels wrong even saying it, that. Of course it does. Of course yeah. it does. Um, but yeah, it's a fascinating story behind this film. Um, so much of it is Ted Talley making it. And um, famously, Tom- Thomas Harris didn't watch the film for another for 10 years after it came out because he was still writing the character and he was still writing those books. And he was worried about what was on screen influencing and that being the new picture in his head, which I would be exactly the same. That is all I would be able to picture. That's why cinema is so great. But he he likes the film, and they had a really good relationship. Um, but there's a more there's another interesting story behind Hannibal and how they all parted ways. But we'll get to that next week. Mm. Um, but yeah, the way that this this film was put together was extremely respectful of the source material and. I think because it didn't try to take on everything and just went through the one Starling angle, it's it's probably easier to have Harris's approval, not that you necessarily need it, but to kind of acknowledge that this isn't the whole book, this is a focusing on Starling and her journey is you're going to pick that out and focus on it as one story. This is because you're probably telling a third of the book rather than the whole thing. Yeah, and there's there's things you there's things you absolutely need. Um, you know, I I get now it's. So so long now since I've read the book, I'm probably there's probably something where I was like, oh, I can't believe they cut this out. But no, oh god, I I'm just thinking, I'm just getting lost in the scenes of Hopkins and and Jodie Foster together. Um, it feels like it takes up a lot more of the film than it actually does, doesn't it? True. That's the famous true. thing. It feels like uh, Hannibal Lecter is in this entire film, and it's like twenty minutes. Okay, and it's it's a re. This film is a masterclass of how to use your time effectively. Oh, yeah. There's no time wasted. This doesn't feel like two hours. No, it doesn't. No, and uh, every every beat for me feels nice. Now, actually, I was watching. There's one, one or two little moments that I feel had to be added for dramatic reasons, right? Mm-hmm. One of them is when you have that split of the FBI raid and... Clarice ringing Buffalo Bill's doorbell, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think up to a point, it's handled really well. I love the little twist until the camera zooms in on Crawford's face and he goes, oh, Clarice, how could he possibly know where she is? <laughs> that really pisses me off. How could she know that he's in, that she's in trouble? 
Yeah, exactly. That, oh. that that was like you know kind of was this kind of a psychic link that you get when you work in the FBI. That's it. It, it bugs me because there hasn't been that for this film. There hasn't been the no. implausible kind of knowing things you shouldn't know, that kind of things. Where it says, <gasps> Clarice, for it's all you if, know, mate, she's grabbing a coffee. Yeah, exactly. It's as if we've missed a scene where he knows that she's knocking on... It, you know, today, that probably would have been a voicemail that um, Starling leaves him saying, I'm at this person's house. Call me in an hour if something goes wrong. But even mm. then, he doesn't know who Buffalo Bill is. She's just digging up more dirt on the person that they are trying to arrest. They they don't even know that this guy is the wrong guy yet. So we, we must be missing something there because there's no yeah. reason for him to shout out Starling. No, or not Clarice no. or whatever. Just, no, it's like you say, if, if he knew she was going door to door in the right area, then where the hell is he? And yeah. uh, she says, well, I'm only 400 miles away from, from there. It's like, all right, well, 400 miles is not exactly around the corner, lads. No, that's still a day's travel. Yeah. <laughs> that's a and, long and journey. I think, yeah, that's a problem as well when they're, get, you know, at the very end where, you know, they're bringing Catherine Martin out of the house. How long did she have to wait for the FBI to get there before they were allowed to take Catherine Martin out? I mean, 400 <laughs> miles. Now, okay, grand, if they jumped on a jet and, you know, find a way to park in the street, then yeah, all right, yeah, maybe. not so bad. So there, there is, I have to say, as, as you say, it is, it's not a perfect film. It's an excellent film and it completely deserves the praise it gets. But th- th- those little niggly things are like, they didn't need to be included. So yeah, that's interesting you know, choices, isn't it? Um, it would have been far more ridiculous had Gene Hackman had his way because <laughs> he wanted to go far more dream-ish with it. So um, Hannibal was going to be like looking out of a window or something and Clarice's face was going to be in the clouds and he was going to be like daydreaming about her and it was going to be Jodie Foster superimposed on the clouds and Ted Talley just bit his tongue and he was just like... Yeah, I'm gonna have to deal with that, aren't I? Fortunately, he never did because Hagman exited. But he was like, "Yeah, no, we're not gonna do that." <laughs> good, good. I am glad somebody saw sense when it comes to that scene. My like, gosh, no. that's crazy. That's um, crazy. The the novel of Hannibal does an excellent. Um, now it's Marmite. I will say this, but it does an excellent exploration of the psychological link not a psychic link now but the psychological link between Clarice and Hannibal and why they are drawn to each other the way that they are and it's nothing it I it's not supernatural they're not sitting there thinking each other's thoughts that's not what <laughs> I mean there's there's this kind of link between them in their personalities nearly um, and it's very very good again long time since I've read Hannibal but I do remember thoroughly enjoying the book um, and it continued, I feel, a lot of their relationship from the movie The Silence of the Lambs as opposed to the book The Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, that probably makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, Ted Talley does not like Hannibal, the book, at all. The book, <laughs> I can... It's... it's. Mm, I look forward to talking about it next. There's a lot yeah, to talk about when it comes definitely. to Hannibal. It's, um, um, it's a different movie. Um, so where do you think, um, take a guess, Lecter's um, voice, um, Anthony Hopkins, 
invented his voice because um, in the book, um, Hannibal's Lithuanian. So Lecter kind of had, uh, Lecter, whoops. Hopkins kind of had free reign to design the voice how he wanted. Um, what is it a cross between? It's a cross between two things, <laughs> two people. One I'm going to tell you is an actor. The other is a machine. Well, okay. No, um, God, uh, no, I have no idea. To, well, clue, clue me in. It is a cross between Catherine Hepburn and Hal in 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> oh my God, I can hear it. I can hear Hal, definitely. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know about the, the Catherine Hepburn. I love that Catherine, not Audrey, by the way, like just specifically. <laughs> oh yeah, um, oh, that's, that's fine. And with, with all due respect to Catherine Hepburn, I don't know what she sounds like, so no. fair play. But yeah, I definitely it could be get, Hannibal Lecter. I, yeah, I definitely get the Hal in there. I'm sorry. I can't allow that. No, Clarice. that is incidental. Yeah. <laughs> oh, his you cadence. are, Sergeant Pembry. His cadence is so good. It's oh. so, so good. There oh. are. Do you know, yeah, okay, that's that's really cool. I, I, I don't know enough uh, Catherine Hepburn roles to <laughs> make a comment on that, but certainly Hal, which I believe we're both going, yep, this is the safer one that we can say, yeah, Hal, Hal's yep, a robot. That yeah, works, gonna, definitely. Yeah, yeah, that's grand, yeah. Thank um, you, Barney. <sighs> so good. Um, yeah, love the movie. Um, what else have we got in there? Done Hannibal like, to death. Um... Like we don't know that. So, just a, I suppose a couple of the supporting um, things there is actually tying it back to the news in a little in a little bit. Um, the her friend Ardelia, played by Casey Lemons, mm. appeared in the nineteen ninety one or no, excuse me, nineteen ninety three Candyman film. Oh, cool! Nice. Yes, where she also plays the friend. Good. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so little little tie in there to tie our news and main theme together. Um, so the other kind of I mean the little supporting characters, um, Catherine Martin. She doesn't really have an awful lot to do, but I think Brooke Smith does a pretty good job with it. You kind of, you're kind of rooting for her in the end, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Of course you are. Um, um, I don't like. Um, in terms of supporting characters, I don't like what happens to the dog. It's, that's a mean, mean trick. But the dog's okay. I know the dog's okay. And I like to think that she actually took care of the dog afterwards because she's actually cuddling Precious when she's escorted out of the house. So, so I, I don't believe mm. that she wanted to hurt the dog. I just... Ugh. It's gross. I don't like it. I I, I think... So I didn't pick up on this, um, but Catherine Martin and you know, getting away with Precious is a nod, apparently, to Clarice getting away with the lamb. Oh, that's good. No, I didn't I didn't pick up on that no. at all. This is reading it. Um, I like that. Yeah. And, yeah, I like that now, I have to say. I thought, I think that's good. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know what? Seth, we, haven't, yeah. sorry, we haven't talked about the, the scene when Hannibal escapes. Now, for me, it sticks out like a sore thumb because... His escape has nothing to do with the film. It has no bearing. It's inconsequential. It doesn't... It puts Starling on edge a bit, but it doesn't... Other than set up Hannibal, it doesn't do anything else. But it is the most stunning scene in the entire film. It is. <laughs> it's so yeah. fucking good. It's, it's so, so good. good. It's so good. And there's so many 
clues inside the scene as to how it's going to end as well. Yep. Um, it's it's so well done. Um, my one nitpick is I don't understand how he kept the face on as they were trying to bring him back to life because first aid and paramedics, are, it's messy. Like, you don't really have much airs and graces. You, you pull them about and you're doing mouth-to-mouth and whatnot. Um, it's very convenient that they just put that kind of paper mask over him. <laughs> it is a bit. And leave him it be. Is, yeah, it, it is. But it's like, oh, that's that's nice. Yeah. Um, but, but, as uh, a, but as a lesson oh. in suspension tension, it's incredible. The way it's revealed to you, um, just all simultaneously, and then he sits upright in the back of the ambulance and all of the pieces come together. Um, it's nice that we get to see Lecter in action. That is true. Yeah, you kind of feel you feel bad for the poor old, but I suppose you feel bad for everyone that he kills. But yeah, but these cops the poor old so ambulance dumb. crew. What have they ever done on him? Yeah, the ambulance crew didn't do much wrong at all. But the cops were dumb as nails. Like they're so stupid. Yeah, uh, and also as well, um, like this is again, this is something that comes back in uh, Hannibal. It's like you know, he you know where possible, he only attacks and kills the rude. So they were rude yeah, to the two absolutely. cops. Yeah. Uh, um but uh yeah, exactly, you know, how rude of the uh oh well actually how rude of the ambulance crew to attempt to save one of his victims. Well, quite. He's put a lot of work into destroying that face. Mm-hmm, that's what that exactly, yeah. <laughs> I just love the way he's standing up next to the cop holding the handcuffs. <laughs> it's like, Yep, you're fucked. <laughs> Such a oh. the movie's done such a good job of building Lecter up that you're just like, oh, these guys are in so much trouble. Yeah, like, <laughs> they're gonna have a really bad day. <laughs> and poor old, uh, poor old Charles Napier. Yeah, um, you know he's he had he had an interesting career. Whether he was Adam, one of the space hippies in the original series in Star Trek, um, to yeah, go yeah. on to be that was that was him. Interesting, um, and who. What 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 else? No, there's another. No, he was the general in Little Green Men, so he came back to Star Trek again. Nice. After uh, uh, this, and oh, for Deep Space Nine, of course he was. Yeah. Yeah, and then he did this, where he got his head beaten in by Anthony Hopkins. So he's had some very very uh, memorable. He's been um, on a journey, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the other guy. So yeah, yeah so um, <laughs> I love the um, oh the way just. The way it's revealed that, you know, there's the body on top of the elevator. And what do they do to find out? Quickly, get Pembry out of here. Let's deal with this body. It's like, mate, no. Mm-hmm. No, Pem- you don't want Pembry to get out of there. No, you really don't. Uh, so brutal, that shooting him in the leg as well. Cause yeah. that, it's a smart move because, yeah, don't assume anything. And you're kind of thinking, maybe Hannibal's trained himself to like not feel pain when he's shot in the leg. <laughs> Perhaps. It's like, well, that feels good. Yeah. Uh, although there is actually, a get, I have to stop saying when we get to Hannibal, but there is a thing about um, his, how he deals with pain. Mm, yeah. So there, there, is, there is an exploration of that. Okay. Yeah. All right. So yeah, again. Yeah, I need to stop saying, when we get to Hannibal. Um, <laughs> so, so, the ending, do you, how do you feel about the ending? Um, I Personally, I love it. Yeah, I really like it. And I love that 
she doesn't spend so much time in in fear, knowing that Hannibal has a respect for her and that it would be rude for him to kill her um, after what's happened. I love that he says, I have no plans to call on you. It's just a simple, like, yeah, because and I he, expect the same from you, Agent Starling. She's like, you know, I can't promise. Yeah, this. but like, he he would understand better than anyone the fear that he can install in people. Yes, and, and it's almost a courtesy, isn't it? Saying, "I don't want you to live in fear." As far as I'm concerned, our business is done. It's like it's like it's very polite. It's like an act of compassion. Almost. It is. Absolutely, yeah, because you would be looking over your shoulder, wouldn't you? So then if he is a total psychopath, why uh, show compassion? Or how can he show compassion? I think you have you have different levels, don't you? It's on a spectrum. It's not, you're a psychopath, therefore you fit in this box. It's just, we like to label things. Um, so I, he just, he rationalises things. So he rationalises who he kills and who he doesn't. Um the world is more interesting with Starling in it, and that's enough of a reason for him. I don't, yeah. I don't think that it's, yeah, it's <sighs> telling her is compassion, but the reason that he's doing it is more, yeah, he likes the idea that she's out there doing things, even yeah. if one of those things might be eventually catching him. I know. I just, I'm. Oh, this, this sounds awful. I'm getting lost in how much I love this movie now. I'm just thinking of the scene. I'm thinking of their relationship. I'm thinking of that last, um, goodbye, and just her, Doctor Lecter, Doctor Lecter, Doctor Lecter. Lecter. Um, um, and now there's one character who we didn't talk about at all, mm-hmm. and that's Doctor Chilton. So next I- week we'll be doing Hannibal. <laughs> <laughs> he's a cartoon character. He really, he's so. Oh, he's, he's dreadful. He's, he's so obnoxious. Dreadful. I know that's yeah. what he's supposed to be. He is the, the the sexist, misogynistic man that has to has to constantly be measuring his own dick because mm. it, Hannibal mm. is his his project that he hasn't made any progress with. Yeah, and I I loathe some character. Yeah, um, and you're just so uncomfortable in any scene with him. Uh, and kudos to the actor because um, you know it's not it's not easy um, to be so unlikable if you are not that unlikable yourself in real life. Now, yeah. Ian, obviously, you would have no problem with this, but you know, oh, anyone else. Easiest thing is wake up and born for it. Oh, Ian, Ed Asner's died. Who? Ed Asner. Oh, he's he's old school film. Um, he would have been. He was the he was the old man in Up, but he's been in. Hundreds and hundreds Aww. of things. Um, now, oh, sorry, and I know we're mid episode, but that that's something that should be just acknowledged. Ed Asner, he was a giant of. Uh, it was ironic because he's about three foot tall. Oh, bless but, him. Um, oh yeah, he's he he's a bit like there's a picture of him um, and Betty White here together. The pair of them are kind of you know vying for Who's longest shorter? serving person in. Hollywood. Oh, right, yeah. Um, oh, bless him. Yeah, sorry, just needed to be acknowledged there. It has nothing to do with the Hannibal series. Nope, not at all. It's fine. I accept the acknowledgement. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, so sorry, back to the film. Um, it was... George A. Romero plays a jailer. <laughs> he does not, does he? He absolutely does. Oh, no way. Oh, no, that's cool trivia. That is cool <laughs> trivia. 
really cool. Um, in fact, Ted, um, not Ted Lasso, that's entirely different. Um, uh, Ted Talley is also in the film. He's one of the SWAT people that goes to the wrong house at the end of the movie. I think I knew that. And actually, is FBI instructor Lawrence a... I, there is... No, okay, he wasn't. No, I thought I thought some of the FBI people are actual FBI people. Oh, that would um, be cool. Not sure if they are. Anthony, uh, I might be pronouncing this cor- incorrectly. Heal H E A L D. Yeah. Um, Chilton is Chilton, and yeah, he's loathsome in a great way. Yeah. yeah. I don't, it's the only bit that feels a bit cartoony to me, a bit over the top. When um, Starling and Lecter and um, Crawford are so nuanced, he isn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes he is absolutely not even close to being no. nuanced at all no 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 um, um but no, any other so any other cool trivia like that for me that was that was cool i didn't know that yeah. uh the um george, george romero. romero one and uh, that's all i've got actually um just it's one of the things that um uh jonathan demi likes to do he likes to put everybody into oh no i do have one thing um he liked to play pranks on people because he's a very um, he likes a very fun set. He likes it to be very lighthearted. So when there's a scene that I don't think makes it into the film where Clarice uh, is picking up keys to a rented car and she goes in and says, I think you have some keys for me. And he spoke to the extra and said, I want you to give her a really fucking hard time. Like this isn't in the script, but I need you to be really demanding. So the guy said, oh, can I see some some ID, please? And that's not in the script. So Jodie Foster's like, um, just improvises and pulls out the ID. And he was like, have you got anything from this state? I can't accept this. And she like <laughs> goes through her pockets, like trying to find something else. And he's like, why have you come here without any ID? Do you know how much this slows me down? Like, what, what are you doing? You're trying to make my job difficult? And she just breaks. Like, she couldn't stay in character. <laughs> That's brilliant. That is br- no, I didn't know it's that. It's so brilliant. much fun. I love it. That's the sort of films that you want to be on. I think it just shows you don't have to be a bastard to get a good performance. Yes, I agree. Um, now, I have spotted another uh, very famous name who was in this film. I didn't actually realise that. FBI director Hayden Burke is played by schlock horror icon Roger Corman. Oh, no, I did not know that. So Roger Corman basically, you know, think of a B-movie from the science fiction era. Roger Corman probably directed or wrote it. Interesting. Cool. <laughs> um, so that's actually, that's pretty cool. Awesome. Um, and he is in this film. Um, nice. What? Okay, I'm just going to fly through this really, really quickly. Like, hang on now. Um, no, no. Okay. No, I thought there was other, another name there. It's like, oh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, love the film. It's amazing. Um, sorry, it's the best film that we're going to cover in this very short series on Hannibal. Um, that is true. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's phenomenal. So good. Love this movie. Um, oh, I tell you what, we should just say, sorry, the, the ones that we're going to cover, we're not covering Manhunter. And did we decide whether we're covering Hannibal Rising? I think we said we weren't. Yeah, I think we're just going to do Hannibal and Red Dragon because then... Rising kind of goes off the rails a little bit. It's I, I actually like it, but I kind of see the trilogy as this Hannibal and Red Dragon, even though Red Dragon's the prequel. But yes, yep, yep. I think that is fair. Yeah, great, um, brilliant. So yeah, next week's Hannibal. Plenty of notice. Um, and actually, we're kind of open to suggestions for what we do in the next series. So if you've got any ideas 
chuck them out on Twitter and we'll reject them and substitute them for our own. But thank you for listening. Perfect. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) We love you guys. All right. Thanks very much, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to An Englishman and an Irishman Go to the Movies. I, at least, would love to hear your thoughts on the episode. Sean couldn't care enough to record this with me. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at EnglishIrishGTM. Email us at anenglishmanandanirishman at gmail.com and check out our website www.anenglishmanandanirishman.wordpress.com where you'll find all of our previous episodes. You'll find me on Twitter at galactic underscore Dave and you'll find Sean at Sean Ferrick. Thanks for being awesome and we love you very much.